the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Other factors not available at all. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains the love and discipline of God. You know what? If you won't love God and you act disobediently and outside as well, he loves you so much not to leave you in your sin. God will not allow his children to sin successfully. And he will send a storm. And that's the case here. Jonah fled from the Lord, but God sent a storm. When the wind blows and the waves crash, God may be talking to you. And here on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy is encouraging us to let God speak through today's message titled, The Perfect Storm. We're examining the spiritual implication in the book of Jonah as we continue our new series titled, Men on the Run. Here in chapter one, we find Jonah adrift, and it's a reminder to stay close to God in the storm. If your Bible is handy, open it to Jonah as Philip begins. In his book, Activating the Power of the Cross, preacher and author Tony Evans tells about a time when he was a young person. He has this memory about his old grandmother, that when there would be an enormous thunderstorm overhead, she would gather all the kids into the living room, including Tony himself. And she would tell them to close their books, turn off the radio or the television, and listen to the thunderstorm, because she said to the kids, God is talking. And so they'd all sit there in silence, and they'd hear the thunderstorm roar and rumble overhead, and it was God talking according to grandmother. Well, Tony Evans reflects on that, and here's what he says. Actually, it was just thunder. But the idea holds true when things are shaky in your life. Know that through the clatter of your circumstances, God is talking, and he wants you to listen. I love that image. And I think that's a powerful insight, that in the clatter of life's circumstances, when the wind blows and the clouds come and life turns sour and everything becomes a struggle, in the clatter of your circumstances, God is often seeking to gain our attention, wanting to reorient our steps. When life rattles your cage, it's often God that is knocking. When life turns into a howling gale, it is often God that is talking. Wasn't it C.S. Lewis who said famously, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, and shouts to us in our pain. He said that suffering was God's megaphone to rise a deaf world. God is talking in the thunderstorm of life. 
And we see that as we come to Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 17. Open your Bible to that passage in Scripture. Because here we're going to see that God uses a thunderstorm. God talks through a thunderstorm to arouse a sleeping prophet. This storm comes as Jonah is on the run from the presence of God. He's asleep in the belly of this ship. And in the clatter of the circumstances with the wind and the wave, God talks to his prophet and calls him back to his calling to go to Nineveh and cry against that city because its wickedness has come to the nostrils of a holy God. What we're going to see is that Jonah is all at sea. One of the metaphors that the Bible uses for a backsliding Christian or a Christian that's growing cold is a Christian all at sea. Hebrews 2 verse 1 warns about drifting away. It's a nautical image. And so Jonah is adrift spiritually here in Jonah 1 verses 4 through 11. And God's going to create and God's going to control a storm to push him back towards a life of obedience. And I don't know as this message unfolds, God will take his word and address it to you in a personal manner. The Holy Spirit will strike up a conversation with you through the word. But perhaps in the clatter of your circumstances, God's talking. And he's calling you to repentance. And he's calling you to revival. And he's calling you to reformation. I like what Rick Easel says in his sermon on Jonah in his book, Defining Moments. The storms that God sends are not meant to sweep us away, but to bring us home. It's a good thought. That's what God's doing here in the life of Jonah. The purpose here is not to destroy his servant, but to bring his servant to a place of renewed obedience. So let's look at the text. Follow along. There's several things we're going to see in the text. Number one, if you're taking notes, what I call the tempest. Write it down. The tempest, verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. There's an escalation of tension here and drama within the story of Jonah. And you'll see it by comparing verse 3 and verse 4. Notice the little phrase that begins with the word but. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We looked at this. This is the recognition of a fugitive prophet. And in verse 4 we read, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. As Jonah runs, God counteracts his disobedience. As Jonah runs, God chases him down with a storm. And all of a sudden, Jonah gets swallowed up in a storm. The creator and the creation conspire together to halt the running of this servant of God. Now, I want you to notice the word sent. I don't know if your translation puts it like this. It could be translated hurled or thrown. The Lord threw a mighty storm into the sea. In fact, it's a Hebrew term that speaks of the hurling of a javelin. Can you imagine that? That's a wonderful picture. It's like the Almighty lifts up a storm and he hurls it in the direction of his servant Jonah. Jonah is the target here. And the purpose is to use this storm to quail his rebellion. How ironic that God would use a storm to quell this prophet's rebellion. But remember, God sends storms not to sweep us away, but to bring us home. And so this is a mighty storm, so strong that it is threatening the very structural soundness of this vessel. The boards are creaking, perhaps even breaking apart. This is a dire 
circumstance. Now, I want you to conclude from this that this storm is no coincidence, right? It's clear from the text. This was no ordinary storm. This is something that God has particularly purposed. The Lord threw, the Lord hurled a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, and the ship was about to be broken up. God has ordained this to reorient his prophet back to a place of obedience. Listen, when God sends a storm, when God allows a clatter of circumstances to take place in your life so he might talk to you because you're not listening, you need to know he's doing that out of love, right? Write down Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. Look at it later. The one whom God loves, he what? He chastens. He disciplines. Now, that's not a pleasant experience, but the fruit of it is good as we're brought to a place of renewed love and obedience for Jesus Christ. And so that's what's going on here. Now, I want to step back a moment before I leave this thought of the tempest, because it's clear from our text that this is a storm that God has ordained to chasten and discipline his servant. But that is not always the case. How do you and I reason and understand storms? In fact, that might be a question that's been on our mind. Where is God in the storm? What produces storms? Why does God allow storms? How do we explain storms, both physical and spiritual? Well, as I thought about it, there are kind of four elements to a storm. Are there four reasons or possible sources for both physical and spiritual storms in a person's life? I think this is worth writing down if you're taking notes. Now, it's always a risky business to try and explain what God's doing in any given situation. But I think we have some biblical basis for this. So if you want to understand a storm, whether it's a natural storm or a spiritual storm, number one, think about Adam's disobedience. Storms have been produced because of Adam's disobedience. Because before Adam sinned, the world was perfect. There was no natural disasters. The ground yielded its fruit happily and bountifully. But when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, death entered the world, death spread to all men and the creation. And according to Romans 8, the world became subject to futility. And you and I live in a broken world where bad things happen. And in some ways, there's no point praying against them because they're going to happen. People will die. Storms will come. Disasters will take place because of what Adam did. And we're living within a creation, longing for the new creation. is not Paul's argument in Romans 8? Having talked about sin entering the world and death through sin, he goes on to talk about the world's futility, and then he goes on to talk about a new world, and we are waiting for that day. But just be aware of this. Adam's disobedience is often the source of a storm. Secondly, others' disobedience. I mean, you might be in a storm just because you live in a broken world as a broken person. That's reason enough. But there's another reason you might be in a storm. Not only Adam's disobedience, others' disobedience, because Jonah will admit that their life is under threat because of his stubbornness and his sin. Scroll down to verse 12. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this tempest is because of me. Why were they in a storm? It wasn't because of them, it was because of him. Jonah says, it's not you, it's me. And you know what? Other people's sin 
can draw us into their storm. And that's just a fact of life. It's an ugly fact of life. It's a heartbreaking fact of life. But it's true. There are all kinds of victims to people's disobedience. So there's two reasons. Adam's disobedience, others' disobedience. Thirdly, our obedience can be the cause of a storm. Remember how the disciples were told by Jesus in Mark 4, verse 35 through 41, to take the boat and go across the Lake of Galilee? And they get about the middle of there, and a storm whips up, and they get caught in the storm, and Jesus comes to their rescue. But I just want you to notice, were they out of the will of God or in the will of God when they were in the storm? Well, they were in the will of God because they were obeying Jesus. Take the boat and go across. They were fulfilling Jesus' commands. And yet, sometimes our obedience can get us into a storm. Don't be thinking, don't buy into, you know, the health and wealth gospel that if you'll obey the Lord and you'll follow His ways, you know, you'll always be healthy. Your kids will always be obedient. Your bank balance will always be full. It's not true. You can be a good, solid, Spirit-filled, walking-in-the-Spirit Christian and still face storms. I mean, here you've got Jonah in a storm because of his disobedience, but I can take you to Acts 27, and you'll find the Apostle Paul in a storm because of his obedience. He had preached the gospel, got arrested. He had appealed his case to Caesar. He's on his way to Rome, and the boat he's on gets caught up in a storm off the coast of Malta. So Adam's disobedience, others' disobedience, our obedience, and finally, which is the case here, our disobedience. But Jonah fled from the Lord, verse 3, but God sent a storm. It's all tied together. One leads to the other. There's a correlation. You know what? If you won't love God and you act disobediently and outside as well, he loves you so much not to leave you in your sin, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. And he will send a storm. I mean, he knows where you are. And when you become his target, he can throw a storm at you like a javelin out of the hand of an Olympian or a warrior. And that's the case here. Now, we could leave that. Just a little footnote, which is encouraging. But know this, God's in charge of your storm. Whether it's because of Adam's disobedience, whether it's because of others' disobedience, whether it's because of your obedience or your disobedience, know this, that God is sovereign in all of this. I mean, it's amazing as you study the book of Jonah how many things obey the Lord in this book except the prophet. The wind obeys him. The wheel obeys him. The plant obeys him. I mean, he's in charge. He's sovereign. And you need to know this, that God's in charge of your storm. And he's up to something in your storm. I like the story that Robert Louis Stevenson liked to tell of a ship that was being tossed on the waves near a rocky coast. There was a lot of danger. Fear was palpable among the crew. And one sailor who was down below feeling the rocking of the ship and the beating of the waves and the howling of the wind, he gets so concerned that he leaves the ship below and goes up to the deck and then on into the control room. And as he steps inside the door, he notices the captain working hard to steer the ship and keep it afloat. And in the middle of all this fear and all this mayhem, the captain looks over his shoulder to notice the scared sailor and the captain smiles. And according to Robert Louis Stevenson, this young sailor goes back down below the deck to the rest of the crew. And here's what he says, I have seen the face of the captain and he smiled at me. I used to sing a little chorus 
It hadn't a lot of theology, but it was a good melody. When I was a boy in Northern Ireland, with Christ in the vessel, you can smile at the storm as you go sailing home. Sailing, sailing, sailing home. And you know what? We can smile at the storms of life because we can look into the face of the captain of our souls and know that he smiles at us. And if it's tough love that has sent the storm, there's still a smile that stands behind it. And if God is Lord of your life, he orders his love over you in the midst of some of life's most challenging situations. Secondly, the terror. We've not only got the tempest, secondly, we've got the terror. Let's look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. You've moved here from the tempest regarding the sea to the terror regarding the sailors. Now, I think you and I should just pause for a moment. Most of us don't have our sea legs, but these are old salty sailors, I would assume. The text seems to infer that. These guys have sealed the seven seas. And when they're afraid, you can bet they've got reason to be afraid. This is a mighty tempest. This isn't a storm in a teacup. This is a God-sent storm intended to quell the rebellion of his servant. So I'm struck by that. But when we read here about them being afraid, Jonah, the author of Jonah, is threading a needle. Because look at verse 5. The mariners were afraid. Look at verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And then look at verse 16. Then the men feared God exceedingly. There's a theme of fear here that's very interesting because their fear will start out as a natural fear in their unbelief. They're just sailors. The sea is swelling. They don't want to die. They've got sweethearts at home. They've got children to raise. They don't want to die. So there's a natural fear here that's sourced in unbelief. But before we're done, there will be a spiritual fear sourced in belief. They will come to fear God whom Jonah describes in verse 9 as the God of heaven who made sea and dry land. Isn't it interesting, talk about the sovereignty of God, that Jonah won't go to Nineveh in obedience to reach pagans, but God will use him in his disobedience to reach pagans? I want you to notice that they jettison the cargo in their fear and in their desire to stay alive. They've come to this conclusion, hey, we've got to lighten this, but we've got to get it up out of the water a little bit. And we don't know what they're carrying, whether, you know, maybe carrying a harvest, maybe carrying animals, clothes, precious stones, but it's all going overboard, you know? And by the way, this idea of hurling is an interesting theme again. God hurls a storm, which frightens the sailors, and they start hurling the cargo. And in hurling the cargo, they discover Jonah, and they discover Jonah's the Jonah on this boat. And before long, they're hurling him into the water. It's all God-ordained. God hurls the storm, they hurl the cargo, then they hurl the prophet, and the whole purpose is to bring him back to his senses. Secondly, you not only see them jettison cargo, you see them pray to their gods. Notice that little phrase that they jettisoned the cargo, but the beginning of verse 5, and every man cried out to his God. Every man cried out to his God. What an interesting little phrase. The Talmud tells us that sailors were mostly pious. You know, we talk about there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, there are a few atheists on ships in the middle of an ocean, in the middle of a storm. 
And that's true here. These are pagans. These are Gentiles. And they have a variety of gods. And in the middle of the storm, a god must be angry. Is it your god or is it my god? Let's pray to all our gods and see if we can placate the deities and save our skin. That's what's going on here. You can almost imagine down below in the cruise quarters a shelf full of idols and images of all kinds of deities. But you will notice that while the storm reminds them of their finiteness, and so they cry to their gods, by the end of this story, their gods aren't going to save them because their gods don't exist. They're idols. They're imaginations of the heart. John Calvin says, the heart is a factory of idols. And before this is done in God's goodness, really without the help of Jonah, these men will turn to the true God, the Lord of heaven who made land and sea, and they will make vows to him and they will sacrifice to him and they will exceedingly fear him. They wakened up to the folly of their spirituality, which was empty, popular but empty. And frankly, I can't leave this thought without at least making a pass at the thought that what we have here is what politicians and media people and Hollywood stars are throwing on the American people. There's all kinds of gods out there. Pick one and cry to your God and worship to your God. Religion in America is increasingly becoming a means of self-expression. Spirituality is amorphous. We're getting away from the God of the Bible and the God of our fathers. And we're encouraging our young people, hey, pick a God, a God that suits you, a God that works for you. And the Bible would say, but it's a God that never works because it's a God that has eyes but doesn't see and ears that doesn't hear and arms that don't work. It's an imagination of your heart. There's only one true God who made heaven and earth and the land and the sea. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he has come under the sky, under the heavens to reach us in love through the death of his son on the cross. There is nothing compared to Christianity and the claims of Jesus Christ. You cannot buy into this silly notion that all religions are equal. They're not. They are false. They are vacuous. And the claims of Jesus Christ is something you can't walk away from. There's no middle ground. Lewis is right. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. You can't put Jesus on a little shelf along with Buddha and along with Allah and along with any other God that you think exists. And this story would remind you, hey, you can cry to your God, but but he'll not answer because there's only one God that answers. And he's answered the biggest question of life in Jesus Christ. And you need to get serious about that reality. And if God's put you in a storm to waken you up, embrace it and find Jesus the anchor for your soul. God doesn't send the storm to sweep us away, but to bring us home. That encouragement from Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Find previous messages in this Man on the Run series online at ktt.org. As Philip said, sometimes the storms of life are our doing, and sometimes they're the result of another's actions. So we need to seek God's wisdom to respond properly. And today, Philip is recommending a book that helps you apply the wisdom of Proverbs. It's titled Living Well by author and seminary professor Alan Mosley. Living Well is a book for real life. Alan Mosley helps you connect wisdom from the book of Proverbs to your everyday struggles and concerns. From relationships to work to money and health, these Proverbs speak into every area of life. Get your copy of this popular and practical book when you donate to Know the Truth. Give over the phone by calling 888-644-8811. 
or donate online at ktt.org. Every day you can tune in to Know the Truth for clear and convicting Bible teaching that's relevant to your everyday life. But do you know who you have to thank for that? Listeners just like you. As a nonprofit ministry, Know the Truth is part of your day because of generous friends who give. And as we grow this ministry to reach new cities, we need more listeners to step forward. Please donate today by calling 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And when you give, we'll send you the book, Living Well, as an Expression of Thanks. And while you're online, learn how you can become a Truth Ambassador when you sign up to automate a monthly gift that will help us go to the city. That's our battle cry as we send God's Word out to millions more. It's been an inspiring half hour of Bible study today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for more lessons from the life of Jonah. That's Friday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. WAVA's Chris Roth here, and recently one of our staff members used 50 Floor, and they could not stop talking about the positive experience they had with their new flooring installation. First, the process was simple and easy. They bring the showroom to you while offering a wide variety of flooring options. No reason to drive all over town. Also, on the day of installation, you don't have to lift a finger to move furniture or any of that stuff. They do it all for you. They move your furniture, they take up and haul away your old floors, install the new floors, clean up, and leave. Now until the end of the month, you're going to save big with 50 Floor's free installation sale on all carpet, hard wood, laminate, and vinyl. Plus, if you use the promo code WAVA, you'll receive an extra $100 off. 50 Floor also offers 12 months, same as cash financing. Please call 877-50-FLOOR or go to 50floor.com to schedule your free in-home estimate. Remember to use the promo code WAVA. You'll receive an additional $100 off. Call today, 877-50-FLOOR or 50floor.com. Call 877-50-FLOOR. Pick up the phone, we'll be knocking at your door. Details and licensure at 50floor.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.